Insights and wisdom lie within every business decision. Welcome to the Leaders by Ivy podcast, where we discover hidden narratives and unlock key learnings for our own leadership and career journeys. Hi, I'm Matt Quinn. Welcome to the final episode of the season of the Leaders by Ivy podcast. Today, we welcome Richard Dufresne, MBA 92. He's the president and chief financial officer of George Weston Limited. We dive into topics like authenticity, culture, and the impact of the coronavirus on frontline workers and customers alike. I know you're going to like this podcast. Enjoy. So Richard, thank you very much for joining us today. Let's start by learning more about who you are what you do, and what's your relation to Ivy? Good. So, uh, yeah, so my name is Richard Dufresne. I'm an MBA grad from Ivy. I graduated in 92. Uh, so what I do now, I'm, uh, I'm the president of a company called George Weston Limited. George Weston Limited, essentially, people will know us better by the businesses that we own. We own three large businesses that touch the lives of uh, many Canadians, the biggest one of which is Loblaws. And so we have Loblaws, Shoppers Drug Mart that people know well. Uh, We also own a large real estate business called Choice Properties, which came about as as, uh, from the real estate that Loblaw owned that we spun off probably eight years ago. And uh, our other business is a bakery business. We're one of the largest bakers in North America. So, uh, so fresh bread, uh, donuts, uh, cookies, uh, we're, uh, we're all in these businesses. So, uh, so yeah, so that's what I do. Interesting in your role, you get to see many different types of businesses uh, working and operating at the, at the best of times. And then also as we go through the challenges that we've seen over the last number of months, could you speak to, given your position and the size of your organization, what's the most significant challenge you faced in the past few months and how did you respond to that? Yeah, I think I think most of uh, the people you've been speaking with over the last few months probably all have the same answer as to the biggest challenge challenge they faced, and it's been it's been this pandemic. Like uh, as I mentioned, the fact that we own three businesses that touch the lives of of, all, of most Canadians uh, really drove what we've been doing and the issues we faced over over the last uh, I guess six months now. And if I were to sort of summarize it by business, if I were to start with our food business, food retailing business, like uh, initially what happened is we had what what we call to stockpiling, like people were afraid that we would run out of food. So there was like a rush to, uh, to stores. And so we were struggling with operations just to keep our stores full, keep our warehouses full because we had to replenish everything. And... The focus was and remains on on safety of our colleagues and safety of our customers, and uh, and that was not easy. Like uh, like people were uh, tired, like uh, working long hours, and that at first, like the relationship with customers wasn't great because we didn't have any PPE at the time. Like it was very tough to procure masks and gloves. And so it created a very, uh, a very difficult environment. But like by being focused on on safety, like we reached a good balance. And fortunately, this stockpiling uh, portion of that business, for that business, lasted probably about 
a month or six weeks. On our drug retail side, if you, if you, as you know, Shoppers Drug Mart, like uh, there were essentially no more doctor visits. And so therefore, like people to get the treatment or get their medication, uh, how, what, how, did, how would they do that? So, so there was a big push for telemedicine. So telemedicine started to grow really rapidly. And, um, and that we are active in such businesses. And so that helped a bit, but we saw a dramatic drop in, uh, in prescription sales because just people could not renew, uh, renew, uh, renew their prescriptions. And on the and, uh, shoppers had a big uh, cosmetic business. And as you can imagine, people didn't care much about how they looked for the first few months. So that business was also uh, significantly affected. Our real estate business was very different. Like the challenge that they faced is that businesses were failing. People were not paying rent and they didn't know whether their business would be able to reopen. At first, we didn't know how long this, this pandemic would last. So people, some initially said people said it's going to last a few weeks. So like, uh, and, uh, but then when people started to figure out that it would last longer, like uh, we saw a lot of people who couldn't afford to pay rent. So that's been an issue that that business uh, has faced and that we still face as of today. And finally, bakery was uh, quite interesting because... Uh, Every category has reacted differently. As, as you could expect, fresh bread, because of people stockpiling, grew rapidly. So people were just consuming more fresh bread. But everything that uh, was related to uh, celebration, like cakes and pies, uh, you, we saw like these business uh, grind to a halt. And every businesses that was uh, related to like uh, what we call quick service restaurants and dining restaurants also fell rapidly because those those were all closed so uh so that created all sorts of issues and uh and managing through that has been uh has been interesting and but i i'd say the uh, the other piece is uh, <clears throat> to run all these businesses we've got support function head offices for each of our businesses <clears throat> and how do you keep how do you keep the business working like we're doing this podcast today, we're not together, we're all in our homes or in our offices. And so we've learned to work remotely. And, uh, and while technology has been uh, really good in helping us transition, uh, it's not easy. So there's a bunch of issues, which I'm sure we'll be pulling on later, but that's been definitely uh, a, a, key, uh, a key challenge that uh, we faced and we continue to face today. That's probably the biggest one that we're still facing. Now, one of the things we talked about before uh, uh, recording here today is some of the podcasts that you listen to and why you like them. Uh, you brought up a, a number of them that talk about, you know, the personal impact or the personal side of it. I'm really interested if you, you're open to talking about this. Your company is so large with so many different moving pieces. How did you as a leader get your head around that in a time of so much rapid change? How did you manage that from, from you know, your personal perspective and your, and your role overseeing so much? That's probably the biggest learning uh, from my perspective since this uh, crisis started. And it's a theme that I keep emphasizing with everyone within the organization. And it's, it's over-communication. Because as you can expect, when you're managing <clears throat> such a large business uh, that's spread all across the country and even into true North America, you need to stay in contact with people. And everybody who's not working in a plant or in a store is working from home. So you had to define ways to stay in contact. So, so 
there was a process I was doing before the pandemic that I've intensified, and I call those let's talk sessions. And to me, a let's talk session is uh, is I uh, convene 10, 15 people in a, in a room and uh, people coming from all over the organization. And, um, and we have no agenda and we talk for an hour, 90 minutes about whatever people want to talk about. And I've been doing this, these sessions for years now. And for me, it's always been a good way to get a pulse of what's going on in the business because I talk to any, everyone. And um, so I remember the Monday after we did the shutdown, my assistant uh, called me up and she said, Richard, you have a let's talk session lined up Wednesday. I'm going to cancel it. I said, no, actually, let's not cancel it. And I said, actually, like, I want you to double the number of sessions. I want to have two sessions per week. And uh, we're just going to keep those going. And so at first we were doing them by conference calls. And then when we learned how to play with video, we, uh, we added videos. But these, has, these have been amazing because I've been in contact with the business, conveying what's going on in the business employees so that they can convey it to their colleagues. And, uh, and I find that uh, that's a really good way to stay connected because if you don't do that, like email or like formal ways to communicate, they're not working well. And so, so that has been something that I thought was very uh, powerful and useful in, uh, in managing the business. And I can feel that people really like it. So do you think you'll keep this uh, doubled volume, even if things go back to a relative normal, whatever that looks like? Good question. Good question. Probably not twice a week, but uh, at least once a week. And, uh, and because video, video is, is such now that it allows you to reach out to people that are far away. And I don't think that's going to go away. I think you're going to be able to keep doing that. Like uh, sometimes we try to get uh, people to come to talk to us about stuff. And it's actually easier to get outside speakers to, to come and talk to us about what's going on in their business. And uh, because it's just a video call, like uh, you just need to convince them to get on a call and like uh, take an hour their day, their day and it works. So we had this uh, woman who works in Beijing. Uh, she runs um, an executive recruitment firm in Beijing and she talked to us about a month ago about her life there and like, wow, like it was so interesting. So, uh, so that's, an, that's an advantage, I guess, of, uh, of learning to use these tools. But like, to me, over communication uh, is, is something that has worked uh, really well for, uh, for us. That sounds like such a huge lesson and something that, like you said, it's involving people from all across the organization. When you look back, is there anything that you wish you would have done differently, either with these let's talk sessions or just in general uh, with your with your communications or managing the business? Uh, not really. I actually was thinking about that question. And no, because I think uh, what I was fearing is uh, is that we would lose on culture. And I, I, it's still a concern I have. Uh, because of our the size of our organization, and so uh, so we've been working really hard at uh, here. Not only to like these let's talk sessions are my own personal initiative, but like uh, been working really hard with the teams to have like company wide events 
And uh, because like, uh, as you know, we're in, we're in the food business and uh, one event that, uh, that we really cherish every year is we call it our Eat Together event. Like we, we feel that eating together is a really important thing in life. And so we apply it at work. And the way we bring it to life in our businesses is we actually organize events where we go and eat together with all our colleagues. And so, uh, so here at, at head office uh, every summer, like we, uh, we bring in food trucks and uh, we all gather in an area and we go eat together and it's so much fun. So, so, so that event was coming up and, uh, and uh, we said like, we won't be able to do it. And so like uh, people on my team came up with the idea and said, no, 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 let's go and order some of our PC chef meals. We'll get them delivered to people's house and we'll cook them and eat together. So, so we had an eat together session. I think we were, I don't know, 150 people, I guess on it. We, we had lunch together and then the team laid up this Jeopardy game on video, which I could not comprehend how they made it work, but it was amazing. And so again, we saw engagement really go up. These are things that companies big and small can do, and it really speaks to culture. And uh, we've we've heard that as a recurring theme throughout the various discussions that we've had. What else is your organization doing to support and and bolster culture and and reinforce that positive culture that you that you have in your organization? Yeah, culture is something that's very important to me. It's very important to our our whole organization because because of our because of our scale, and uh, and it's something that we spent. A lot of time and resources over the years to build, especially like uh, in light of when we when we completed the shoppers acquisitions, there were there were different cultures, and it, and uh, it, we thought it would be a right thing to have such an initiative, and it's been so successful that like now we're perpetuating throughout uh, our other organization and throughout like we're pushing it down to stores and we're pushing it down to our bakeries, and uh, it's quite powerful. Because uh, I think uh, it pushes uh, some, uh, some very strong values that help us day-to-day managing our businesses. Like uh, one, of, one of these values is authenticity. Being able to have honest discussion with people about everything is very important, but being able to do it in, with respect. And uh, I think it's something that uh, we've, uh, we've improved so much on. Like, uh, and, uh, and I feel that we... We're better uh, as an organization because of this. We actually call this the blue culture. It's the, we've uh, we've put a theme on it uh, a few years ago, and uh, it's something that uh, that has, has probably helped us do so well during the pandemic. But there are drawbacks, and uh, the drawbacks is I was looking at this stat actually before getting on this podcast that um, as of September first, at head office will have 15% of employees who have not set foot in this office, i.e. who've been uh, hired since March. So I've never met these people personally yet. Like uh, I've only met them through, uh, through video. And, uh, and so we need, we need to get back to the office which is another big initiative that we're starting to work on and we're going to be doing it slowly but uh but i think it's relatively easy to maintain a culture because you've been doing it with colleagues that you know and you know of them 
But I think it's a little bit more difficult to build a culture with new employees who don't really know the organization because like you need more than programmed events on video to, to get to know someone. You need the impromptu meeting, uh, walking down the, the office or uh, grabbing lunch. So, uh, so, so these things need to get going again so that we can sort of keep, keep the culture strong. And what did you do for those that, that you said, how many, did you say 50% haven't been in? 15, 15, one part me, 15. That's, that's a huge amount of your team. What have you done to welcome those people, to make them feel a part of the organization that they've never set foot in yet? What have you done in the last few months? Well, I guess it's the same theme. Like uh, obviously the interview with more people. Okay, because they, it, it's a two-way two-way thing. Like they need to decide to join us, and we need to decide to hire them. So we, ju- we just had to do more. So more of these uh, video calls. Now that uh, our protocol to, for return to office is now in place, we're uh, we're insisting that the final interviews need to be done face to face. But it, this is new from two weeks ago. So, uh, but before that, like we've hired a lot of people and. Uh, as I was mentioning, and but like, uh, and I think we're getting good talent too. So, so to me, it's the same thing. Like, if you, if you over communicate, make people feel comfortable, it'll it'll work. And uh, I think it's working for us now. I want to hop back to something that you mentioned, which was the shoppers uh, acquisition. Is there anything from that process where you are blending uh, two cultures, a brand brands obviously that are very very well known. Are there any major learnings out of that when you sit back and look and go, wow, that was something that we did well or something that, wow, I, I never expected that to happen? Yeah, uh, yes. And again, that was that was like uh, six years ago now. So the key thing is having a process to share best practices. And, uh, and it was very clear that shoppers had practices that were better than at Loblaws and Loblaw had also better practices than shoppers. So creating a forum by which you can share those practices was quite important. And mostly it happened when we were funneling both teams together and, uh, and people were talking about their businesses. And so, uh, so over the years, as uh, we've learned about how shoppers was doing things and shoppers were learning about how we were doing things, We've both elevated our game, uh, either in business processes and like and like or any other areas, HR, IT. Like uh, so, so, so together, I feel very strongly that both businesses are much better today than they were then because of the fact that we were able to work together. But I can tell you, uh, when we created this culture initiative. Uh, it was an imperative that we did it because the cultures were very different. Like uh, Loblaw was sort of the freight train that just keeps going, okay? And uh, and Shoppers was much more agile. And so uh, so how do you mesh those cultures? So we had to do this blue culture initiative to uh, to bring both cultures together. And uh, but it's been a, it's been a big big uh, big success for us. Now, you just in getting to know you a little bit on this call, you've mentioned, you know, where one company's maybe better than another and can learn from each other. It sounds like you're pretty open and authentic with your own personal style. How do you translate that to those that work for you? How do you encourage that openness and authenticity other than just modeling it? No, it's, it's that's a very good point. Like, like uh, 
this blue culture initiative, I'll, I'll, I'll always coming back to that, but like this blue culture initiative would not have worked if the top senior executives of the company did not believe in it because I, I've seen it not, I've seen it fail at other organization, but uh, I'm of the view that uh, my job is to help others. That's my job because like we're just the sum of everybody that's in the organization. So how, how can I help others is to be listening to them, to be understanding what their issues are and helping them manage their business, the business better. And so, uh, so, uh, so I've always been a big believer in it. Like I've got a big poster of blue culture in my office that I, I have it there because I want people when they walk in my office, they can see that I believe in it. And, and I think, I think uh, I, I try to be, uh, very open with everybody. When I have these let's talk sessions, I had one uh, two weeks ago with our summer students that were leaving, and I always say them the same thing. Like they ask me questions about advice on career and all that stuff, and uh, so I give them my thoughts. But I always say them as the same thing at the end. I said, as you navigate through life or jobs or whatever, and you want to reach out to me, uh, like just do reach out to me. Like, uh, I'm more than happy to be helpful, whether you're with this organization or not. And then I add, by the way, I say this to every uh, group of people I talk to, the percentage of people who take me up on it is actually quite low. So, uh, so uh, I don't know, maybe people, people are too shy. But each time I say that, I'll get two people who sort of send me or an email and say, okay, like, yeah, well, let's do this. And I, I take the time and I really like it. And, and so, uh, so I think, I don't know, I, it's, it's something that now I can sort of give to others because of what I've lived in my, uh, my career. And, uh, but I think it's important because uh, to me, the most important asset that we have in any business is people. And, you know, internal audiences, I want to take a, a slight, uh, Different, slightly different path and talk about the customers and the relationship with customers that you've got. You know, it's still early days. We're still getting things back open and people returning to what <laughs> the new normal, they say. How do you feel that your relationship as an organization with the consumers and the customers may have changed during the pandemic? Yeah, no, I think it's gotten better. Obviously, it's very tough to gauge, but we have a we have uh, all sorts of customer metrics that we follow, OSATs, NPS, and, uh, and the like. And uh, we've seen uh, ups and downs throughout the pandemic. But overall, I think I think uh, I think our relationship with customers is better than it was before because we were quite open about what was going on. Galen was writing letters and sending emails uh, to every Canadians about how things were going, how just, just to keep people informed because people didn't know, like, like it was, it created so much uncertainty for everybody. So again, being open and honest about what's going on in, in your business and how we, we want to be, uh, we want to be treating customers and treating colleagues was so important. Like we changed the way a grocery store works uh, a lot since the, this pandemic. And each time that we made a big change, we wanted to communicate it because for some customers, they didn't really like it. Like uh, now we have Plexi Shield in all our, in all our stores now for uh, our, our, our lanes. And, uh, and so uh, at first people didn't really like that, but then, okay, now it feels safe. And then when we did them first, 
with the atom just on one side. But like the consequence of that is that each lane has two sides because you actually walk behind. So then, oh my God, we don't have one. So we had to close these lines. So, so, so we learned a lot of stuff. Like if you've walked our stores now, you've got arrows on the floor that tell you how to direct traffic so that you don't meet people. So all of these things, I feel made our customer feel safer. And, uh, and, uh, I think today it's now the way of life. Like, um, if you go in our stores now, you'll see that everybody wears a mask. Like it's sort of the thing and it's, it's not normal. I don't know how each of you are managing your life now, but I've masks in my work bag. I've masks in my car. I've got masks uh, at the front door and it's just part of life. Now I just have a mask and when I go indoor in a store or something, I bring, uh, put it on. So, uh, so I think people have learned that and, uh, and feel good about it. And when I look at, Canada in general, I think I think we're doing a decent job on, on this issue. Yeah, it's amazing how adaptable we are, and, and to, uh, now we're used to those masks and the, and the plexi. Could you talk a little bit about the impact on the employees? Because you just mentioned, you know, one example of the plexi on one side and now plexi on both sides of that frontline worker. You know, what were some of the things that you did to to help frontline workers and uh, help them adapt, and and how did mentioned communication that's obviously one anything else stand out well i guess like at first it was overwhelming for 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 colleagues because like the 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 amount of work uh that needed to be done just to keep a store open like we we've increased the sanitation uh processes in our stores like to keep the store super clean and those are still happening today and so so the pressure that we put uh, on our employees at first uh was immense so we put in um, we put in some uh, pay premiums uh, at first because because of the extra work essentially and uh, and so uh, and uh, and we got really positive feedback from uh, from uh, from our colleagues on, on that program and uh, and it worked well and I think if you look at if you talk to colleagues today they're uh, they're quite and they're quite happy of what of how we uh, how we treated them like to, to us like colleagues and customers are the same like they need to be safe and it needs to be uh, good for their health and their family's health so some themes uh, across all the audiences that you've talked about lots of communication uh, engage 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 as much as you can authentic and open uh, health and safety you know being paramount it doesn't matter what the audience make sure that that's the case and I want to dive back to you personally as a leader. Uh, do you have something that you want to share with our audience or ask our listeners to, to follow up on, to read more, as, whether it be an initiative, a cause, or a, a problem that you're passionate about personally that you want our, our audience to check out? But to me, to me, it's, it's the same theme I've been talking about. And it's, it's about people. And actually, like, because this is IV, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a bit, a little bit of an anecdote of my time at my MBA in 92. Like if you know me, my background is very analytical. Like I studied in math and like I, I, I'm very rational. Uh, and, uh, and so I've always been attracted to, uh, to like chemistry, physics and math. So that those were subjects that I really liked when I was young. And I remember in my first year at MBA, uh, we had a course called Organizational Behavior, thought by uh, Jim Rush. And I was sitting, I think, second row at that time. 
and we had our little board and like uh, we were in that class, which I didn't really like because to me, HR or organizational behavior, that was not my thing. Like I love the finance classes and that's, that's what I was really eager. And I remember like I was probably not really listening and Jim comes to me and says, Richard, okay, like uh, you need to, f- need to focus. This is important. Like, uh, and I looked at them, at him and I sort of rolled my eyes, sort of say, you know what? And then he, he looked at me, he says, Richard, he says, the most important thing in business is people. And I didn't really believe him. But you know what? Uh, I don't know when this revelation came to me, but he was right. He was totally right because it's all about people. And I think successful organizations do a great job with people. So that's your biggest asset, recruiting talent. And if I look at what I do today, like I spend a lot of my time on talent, just making sure we have the right people in the right place and recruiting good talent. And you can never get enough good talent. And you can never, like, you, you need to care about your employees. You need to respect your employees. And you need to give them uh, rewarding tasks. And and if you do that well, like, your businesses will thrive. If, if I look at all the big strategic moves that we've done over the last, like, 10 years, we couldn't have done it without the talent we have. And, uh, and so that, to me, is a theme I'm quite passionate about, and um, and uh, I uh, I push on that every day with uh, with everybody in the organization. Many thanks to Richard for being with us on the season finale of the Leaders by Ivy podcast. Thank you, our listeners, for joining us on this journey. We're really excited to bring you season two, and the lineup looks fantastic. Join us in the fall to hear and learn from these amazing guests. Until then, take care.